Hello and welcome to Radio. Um, Radio is a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. Uh, my name is Ross Drakes and I'll be your host today. Um, a shout out to our missing host, Rich Marholland. I hope wherever you are, that great things are happening to you. Um, and the point of this podcast is to share the stories that you hear being a member of the Entrepreneurs Organization uh, in stories of great business, business owners and their personal journeys. So today I'm sitting with Petra Reese, who is the recent founder of a company called Y Toys. Hello and welcome, Petra. Hi, Ross, and thank you for having me. Cheers, Rich. <laughs> um, so we're going to ask the same question we ask everything. Uh, give us your elevator pitch. Right, easy game. So we provide um, high quality curated educational content for kids ages three to seven that you can 3D print at home. Wow. Easy as that. And I suppose, I mean, as a follow-on question, how, you know, so you've just started a new business. How did you end up here? Like kind of what got you to this point? Do you want me to start how I ended up in South Africa? Yeah, let's go all the, let's go okay. all the way back. <laughs> Jeez, um, no, you don't want to hear some of my stories starting at teasers. Um, so, um, right. <laughs> so how I got to South Africa was um, just I started a business actually in Seychelles. And uh, one of my first clients were South African, um, South, South African developers. They asked me to come for about for a project uh, that should have lasted four months. And I've been here for almost 12 years. <laughs> so I met, um, I met very shortly into it, my husband, he complicated it. And I started about eight years ago a business um, providing back office support for entrepreneurs. Um, and I found that there was a big need uh, because I was a foreigner, didn't know where to go, uh, didn't know who to ask, didn't want to end up like, in trouble. So I thought that's a good idea because it didn't exist. And in a similar way, um, I you know, I started pondering about this idea that it had to do with uh, the future of your kids. And I think that, you know, you would now probably will be closer to you, Ross, because you are a new dad, right? Yeah. So I have uh, two small ones, a three-year-old and a five-year-old. And I just thought to myself, how am I going to ensure that they're going to become awesome leaders in fundamentally different future? By, you know, we just like pushing them into the <laughs> educational system that is 150 years old. And more, and we're hoping like they're going to do miracles. So I thought to myself, well, let me let me just yeah, kind of put my head around what I think is needed in terms of skills for future leaders, and how can we you know develop creativity a little bit more in kids, ignite curiosity, and um, make sure that our kids are have great imagination. They can um, interpret things easily, adapt, be flexible. And, you know, because I thought even in the workplace, I mean, people are just stuck in the way they're doing things. And one big issue that I found with, even like with myself and with people around me, with my staff, was um, resistant to change. Mm. Um, and, you know, they the people just don't want to necessarily embrace new things and they don't want to see the change ways. is hard. Like change is, change right. is, it's much easier to get good at something and then just keep kind of doing it. Like if, when you're changing, you can't hide behind experience yeah and that's exactly it um and you know this allows you just doing things one way and that's the experience you had as you said um but you know the future is throwing new and new things and it's going to be faster and faster so today you knew that there are let's say three phases of matter it's solid liquid and gas and now tomorrow is fourth one you know it's plasma 
And how do you get your kids to start understanding, okay, why is there a fourth one? How, what does it mean? Yeah, I mean, I'm still reading from the fact that they, they made Pluto not a planet <laughs> and now it is a planet again. I mean, come on, like, you're messing yeah. with my little things that I created when I was at primary school. And, and, and that's the thing. So it's the whole thing about unlearning. Like, how do we get people to unlearn things very quickly and use the, interpre- uh, use the information, interpret it, um, and just, you know, put it in play in a different way? I mean, I suppose there's an interesting idea there, you know, and we, so, so at my company, Nice Work, uh, one of the important things for us is kind of constant learning because we, we are in the, the space of kind of helping our clients create brands and then kind of connect those brands to people in a meaningful way. And the way we connect is changing all the time. So, so one of our challenges is to kind of stay current and to kind of keep, keep up with what's going on there. Um, and we're in the process of doing a course through IDEA and I'm finding it very hard mm. to learn in a linear mm. fashion now. So I've got course notes and I've got, you know, things that I need to kind of deliver. And, and I suppose I like to think of myself as someone who's learning a lot and we do change a lot of our processes mm. and we're changing what we're doing all the time. But I really am struggling with this kind of this linear learning yeah. thing. And, that's the, and I think like a lot of people, maybe you more in the creative space, so you're like your left and right brain are a little bit better like talking to each other. But a lot of CEOs and, you know, corporates, especially the you know, corporate leaders, I found they're very left brain. <laughs> so, and they're very linear thinking and this is kind of the experience they had. And, and now, you know, how do you un- make sure that they unlearn things and just adapt and be flexible and be agile and, you know, and that's what you want your kids to be. Um, and knowledge is not the power anymore. So it's like, okay, so something throws something at you and you need to work with that quickly and apply it. And those people who do it, in, like, in my opinion, like kind of faster, better and more efficiently, they're going to be winning in the future. I mean, I, I 100% buy that. A friend of mine has studied aeronautical engineering and of his, I think there were 100 people who graduated with him and of them, I think only 10 of them are still in aeronautical <laughs> engineering. Uh, they've been Special. snapped up into all different industries yeah. because people like that mm. they know how to problem solve. Yes. So when you're in aeronautics, you're not like someone's <laughs> done this before, we'll just follow that. They're like, we need to shoot this thing over there at that speed and you kind of need to figure it out um, yeah. on your own. Um, but like, that's exactly it. Like, I think that the, like, the best degree probably in the future would be a combination of like some form of a science degree, um, you know, like economics, you know, like psychology um, and knowing how to program. You know, that would be like, exactly because it's all of that. It's the problem solving, it's being able to imagine like deep concepts that are not on a kind of 2D way of looking at them. <laughs> so tell us, I mean, so, so, you know, there's this idea of like teaching kids how to learn or how to unlearn, learn, unlearn, <laughs> learn, unlearn and be yeah. in that kind of cycle. How does, how do white toys, how does 3D printing, how does that all tie together and how does that um, drive your business for you? Yeah, so um, I think essentially... Um, it's it's all kind of starts with being able to expose kids to technologies. Um, but it's not just that easy, like, okay, let's throw an iPad at the child so he can be quiet for like 15 minutes and do some puzzles, which is great as well. And some games are definitely educational um, and all of that. But, um, you know, it's not necessarily, you're not necessarily igniting that, that, like, that genius and trying to be curious about how to, how, how it all fits together and how they can apply things. But understanding technology on its own is important. And it's important for them to see 
things differently and being able to say, okay, well, with this, um, whether it's 3D printing, AI, VR, you know, like they need to say that these technologies exist, but how can they bridge the different problems? So I started with 3D printing because it was for me, um, especially in the, in the ages of kids that are small, they learn through play. And, you know, instead of just going to a toy store and getting a toy that has a lifespan um, of, of whatever that is that then they think that it's boring and they won't play with it as much or anymore, um, it, I wanted that to evolve. And I found that exactly if you just go to a store, it's very kind of one dimension. There's your toy. Um, you as a parent kind of don't have any um, touch or attachment to it. And the child also sees it as like, okay, well, this come, came from a store. And let's say, I'll give you a good, good, good example, was um, an animal farm that uh, we put together as a concept to teach kids how kind of supply chain works and how the mill goes into the factory and the factory to the shop and how money changes hands and, and put different educational videos around it that, that are really fun. And my little girl, and I had this like awesome shop with like all sorts of fruits and vegetables to kind of teach her all these cool things. And she was like, okay, that's nice, uh, playing with it for a short while. And then she was more interested in selling the animals. <laughs> so the, the good news was that she wanted to sell them as a family. So it was like a little... Little moment. Capitalist, but not a heartless <laughs> capitalist. <laughs> so it's like, no, you have to buy the whole family. Um, but uh, what was important like for me was then sitting with her and saying, okay, fine, and now you can sell animals and you can sell them at an auction. And now we went to find a, three, a 3D printed kind of the hammer at an auction. And so I started explaining to her how an auction works and, you know, why there is an auction and all of these things, which I would not be able to do with just if I just bought one thing at a store. Um, but now I can augment it and allow her to just drive her imagination and drive her thinking. Oh, so you, as you, as you building out the story, you printing the objects. You can also print, yeah, and you can, there's lots of free available content out there that I can leverage. And with that, you can actually, in additional, print other things as your kids want it. So, you know, now we're going, for example, camping and we're printing out um, all different sorts of animals that they can see, like safari kind of. And so now it's like, okay, let's play with it at the campsite, what animals they see, you know, do they live on a plane? Let's put some rocks together. So now you can just basically go from there and the sky is the limit. I also love that idea of almost like ownership or co-creation of it. Exactly. So that it's not something that you're just buying, you kind of, you're choosing it, you're creating it, you're kind of building it. So yeah. I love that as kind of an idea. And bonding with the kids, I think that it's big because I think as parents, we're too busy. So we're very happy to obviously engage, but often um, we don't have that kind of time to properly actually sit down with them and bond all the time. Whereas this, <laughs> I would say, it's a little bit the IKEA model where you get so involved in building the bed or the couch or the table that you you like feel better lying and sleeping in the bed because you, you made it. Mm. And similar things. So now as a parent, you actually get involved in building the toy. And so you now have vast the kind of like vested interest in it. And the kid is then super proud, like, look what daddy built for me. You know? I mean, I suppose it's such an interesting idea. We, we've started to shift our, our whole business and finding moments where we can co-create stuff with clients. And I think it's underpinning that mm. same kind of thing. So exactly. when you enable people to create something with you or be invested yes. in the process of kind of generating whatever the output of your business is, 
their ownership of the output and their ownership of the process and their understanding yes. of how it all fits together is much, much higher. And I think the end result is they, exactly like you say, yeah. just like a kid, they're more proud of the yes. work. They feel more attached to it. They feel ownership of it. Yeah. And it's a much more powerful experience for them kind of doing that. And I, and I think exactly, and, and like even more so, like it's going to be like what you just were saying, it's going to be even more and more important in the future. Like, you know, how do you differentiate yourself in, in the market will be exactly how you approach it. Um, and, you know, there could be content freely available, but how do you position it and co-create it with, with your clients? And you might not be the aeronautical engineer, but if you have access to some of those components, you can actually almost like take them out of water because you know how to position it and co-create it and create like things that actually create the experience. So, yeah, I think it's like an important trade. So, I mean, can we jump back to this idea? Like, I love this idea of kind of learning through play. Um, can you talk a little bit about how, how the business encourages that and, and why you think it's sort of important? Yeah, so um, I think play in general, um, you know, for kids being, uh, you know, you're talking, you're talking also like developmental milestones and being like developing fine motor skills, which is very important for future uh, like there's actually reading skills and their mathematical skills. So believe it or not, so if you know how to cut with scissors as a child and you're really good at it, or you're, it's, it's exactly, again, the left and right part of your body and how your brain kind of sends messages. So I'm not, not a kind of neuroscientist, but I got obviously involved a lot with specialists in that field. And it's very clear that up until the ages of like seven, eight, kids are extremely, like, the neuroplasticity in the brain is like extremely like responsive to things. So whatever you can expose them to until that age, it's like the most important critical thing in their um, kind of upbringing or growing up development. And then afterwards, it becomes hard coded. Um, and it's not necessarily that you can't like unteach it or like do more, but it's just going to take so much longer. Mm. And, you know, for me, even like in society like South Africa, where you have like the, the kind of the high, like the premium schools or the haves and the have-nots and the massive difference in terms of the development with children who are from underprivileged schools. Um, and, um, you know, that 60% of those kids don't have any access at that age, at the, up until the age of six, don't have any access to early childhood development centers. Mm. Now, that's a massive gap, you know, to try to speed them up later on just requires so much more, like more resources, more thinking, more everything. So, and, and part of what I'm also doing has to do, like, it's actually to do with that and how do you help kind of in the, um, more in the developing kind of economies to bridge the gaps for, especially for the underprivileged kids. So for us, it's very important. We want to also be not just donating, but actually work with philanthropists to be able to uh, work more with these kids from underprivileged schools to get access to technologies and work with these concepts. Because play is critical and having being exposed to it is absolutely essential. Um, then it's just, yeah, I always say, who, who told me that once? Like as an adult, if you try to, if you have a, like a problem and you want to go to a psychiatrist, it will take you 10 years, but it could have taken you um, 10 months when you were a child to mm. fix it, you know. <laughs> so 
It's a similar thing. I mean, it's an interesting. So, so I can see, you know, well, firstly, I, I want a business one day when I can use the word neuroplasticity <laughs> in a in a sentence and and Ooh, be like it's totally relevant. You're like, well, you know, we invest in neuroplasticity, um, but. Do you think there's scope within, you know, like in executive training or in kind of businesses that to use play as a as a, a method of delivering um, learning? And I know Rich and his company do a lot of yeah. lot of work with board games yes. and using board games to teach strategy and using yes. board games to unpack thing, ideas like victory conditions and mm. giving people kind of frameworks. And, and yes, I mean, exactly to your point, I think that there's quite a few people from EO that I know that have had those businesses. There's like this massive wave that I think started like a few years back with Lego, you know, having um, those like strategic summits on, on and, and strategic kind of planning with, with Lego because it is exactly all these skills that you want people to have, like your analytical thinking, strategic planning, mm. problem solving, creativity, imagination. So it's exactly those skills that you need in everyday life and through games and <laughs> through play. It's the bit like how, you know, it's not like you're going to take a test tomorrow. It's like, oh, I have a better creativity and imagination and I doodled, you know. <laughs> I suppose um, it's also, I mean, I think this is maybe a universal human truth. Like it's easier to exercise when you're playing. So like if you're playing football or mm. rock climbing or like you're doing some activity and a byproduct of it is exercise, it's much easier yeah. than saying to yourself, okay, I'm going to go to the gym and just do exercise. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to exercise now. And I think it's maybe the same thing with learning, that if you sit down and be like, you're going to learn now, yeah, it's quite it's hard, but it's much easier to be like, you're going to play now mm. and playing is a much more interesting or exciting concept than learning and a byproduct of the playing can actually be exactly. learning. And so, and often you might not be even be able to explain that easily, you know, just through like a classroom thing. So you might need people to just visually Im like imagine and interact and what is the outcome of it. So it's sometimes like even impossible. Um, you know, I find it especially with like small kids, like it's not like you're going to put them in a classroom and say, now nah, you learn how to count to 10 or 100 or whatever. And you know how business will make, and if I make one, you can make two, whatever that is. And so it's totally like, so if you can see it with kids, now imagine with adults, it's kind of a similar story. Even worse. Even worse how, story. I mean, I suppose it's an interesting, so, so understanding that, how are you going to structure your company and your kind of, your company culture to enable play and to enable this kind of stuff in your, in your teams? Because I suppose you don't want to be this one out there punting this as a, as a methodology, and then the reality is there's 20 people in a room all sitting at desks staring at computers all day long. Yeah, no, it's, it's a good question, but at the same time, like what I'm a little bit playing um, with is that, um, you know, I'm, for example, now in the space of introducing these concepts through 3D printing. And, you know, then we may get into augmented reality and other kind of technologies, but essentially, you know, you want to, I will be a pioneer, no no doubt. Like, this is actually, what I'm doing has never been done in the way, like, of course, 3D print exists and all of these things and learning, different type of learning exists. But this specific things hasn't been done yet. But, you know, and people say, think that I might be crazy or whatever that is. And I will definitely, it will take me a little bit longer than if I just decided to start, start maybe a HR consulting company tomorrow. Um, because it will take time and I will kind of have to fight with being the pioneer. But it's also, I think there's nothing wrong with trying to um, be kind of 
working towards the trend line. So to, to kind of explain what I mean by it is that, um, you know, Moore's law, law is amazing. So let's say prices of 3D printers half every year. That's kind of the situation. So now a 3D printer might be a little bit more expensive for your home, let's say it's 7,000 Rand. In a year, it's, dro it's dropping dramatically, the prices. So there is nothing kind of wrong with working, kind of becoming, getting into a trend, which is, might happen in two years' time. Mm. And I think sometimes um, I feel that people are not necessarily taking the steps to say, like, I'm okay with being a pioneer, I'm going to just bootstrap and be evangelizing. Um, it takes a little bit more effort, but when you, when you get to a point where now it's becoming the norm, you're riding the wave and you're riding the benefits of it. So I think that's, that's the exciting part. And I suppose it's also interesting that you're combining it with, um, you know, and I know because, like you, you said, I've recently become a parent. Um, so a shout out to little Sebastian. He's probably sleeping in a crib somewhere. No, he's listening, man. He's, he's like, listening. Oh, he's listening on, the, on his, <laughs> his iPod that he already has because <laughs> learning is that far advanced. Um, you know, and I, I can empathize with the feeling of I'd spend almost any money to kind of mm. help him do what he he does. So I think you're in an interesting space. Was that like a deliberate thing or did you kind of end up working with children just because of your context as yeah. a, you know, like as a, as yeah, a mom and where your kind of kids are? So definitely like that was a massive component. And the other part was that um, I wanted to actually build a, an exponential business because I think that's something that I learned from my previous life or from my previous business was how not to do things and how to do things differently. <laughs> and, um, and, and I think so that it's like, there's never one thing, but if mm. there could be those two things, there's definitely one was be, be, being the parent and wanting the best for your kids. And the second, just doing things differently to, and learning from your, your mistakes and, um, and making sure that you can build a business that has a future on building, you know, on principles that are quite fundamental and different. And it's very interesting. Like, I think there's two things that came out there that are so common or so prevalent in EOs that people are often solving solving something that irritated them. It's like, you know, like the, the, this thing's been bugging me and irking me for a while. And instead of waiting for a solution, I'm going to kind of become that exactly. solution. And the only thing I need to be an expert in is the fact that I know how much this irritates me. Yeah. So that's enough for me to kind of drive. And I think the other one is that I suppose businesses are not necessary or careers or, or how many companies you own is not necessarily linear. You're like, exactly. I've done this thing and I've learned all of these lessons out of it. And even though I'm jumping industries and moving into a completely different field, yeah. I'm carrying with me the, the learnings of what to do and what yeah. not to do from the last business, which is kind of like almost like a leveling up um, yeah. as you go. No, and for me, it was exactly like those, those learnings where, and, and you said it at the beginning, like, you know, when you try to solve a problem. Um, and, but I also, like, I always have this analogy with, you know, you start doing, you have a task, you start a business with that problem, and sometimes you get caught in um, actually absorbed with a different challenge that you try to solve. And, and I think, you know, in my case, was I always have the analogy with like fighting the crocodiles. I like jump into the boat, try to empty the dam, and then I find myself fighting the crocodiles instead of emptying it. And, and I think that, you know, if you start a business to solve a problem, and I wanted to solve a specific problem back eight years ago, of creating an ecosystem that SMEs, small businesses can thrive with each other and feed of each other. 
um, I started to actually be almost like obsessed with fixing each business at a time. And then, you know, I actually almost like forgot to empty the dam, you know. Yeah, so you didn't make the <laughs> ecosystem, you just fixed <laughs> exactly. a bunch of companies. And and you're kind of thinking, okay, well, that's... And, and then also because of, your, or because of my experience, I found that, you know, managing, for example, having... I wanted to own everything. I wanted to own like the... Uh, the accounting and the financial management and the HR and the IT systems and all of that. And I had to like have it in my business, you know, um, because obviously partially we also were providing the service to, to entrepreneurs. But I realized like exactly through that is that you don't have to own any of these functions. And, and I think people are getting to the point nowadays more and more how to outsource, but it's not just on the bottom level, but it's also on the top level. And that's the kind of the exponential growth that you can achieve that I'm trying to do now differently. You know, it's like, how do you bring in more players in the industry to uh, cre create more growth for you? So let's say, let's say you're in design. And, you know, and, and I think sometimes we have the obsession because you understand marketing and design and branding, you become very good at it. And you actually find yourself that you sometimes have better ideas than some people in your team. And, um, and that's, and, and, you know, and that's okay, but in many cases you get absorbed in those things mm. instead of actually thinking, how am I going to change my business to have thousand designers around the world uh, contributing and, you know, you creating, uh, let's say, an exponential platform that you just need to curate their, their artwork and their you know, quality manage and give them an upside in your growth, you know. And I think that's what was big learning for me is that I don't need to have the linear kind of the expert in HR and then once we have more business, I have two and I have three and then I have ten. Uh, actually get people from the outside world, just be bloody good at like quality managing, curating, being great at customer experience and sharing the upside with them, you know. I mean, this is, I mean, there's, there's many interesting thoughts in there. I think one of them is, uh, you know, and it's a question that I ask. So, so we're experimenting with different ways of staffing. So mm -hmm. are we using freelancers or consultants yeah. to kind of deliver kind of components? And, and I back and forth on this. Yeah. How do you, I mean, how have you in your new company decided where that line is? Like what is the core team who needs to be in the company and what does their skill set look like? And, and when is it okay to kind of outsource that, you know, that? And like what are your kind of views on that thing? <laughs> And it will be interesting because maybe in like two years from now, if you had me here again, I would make like 180 <laughs> to what I'm saying now. <laughs> but it's, it's exactly now that like I'm making 180 to my previous business to almost like instead of wanting to own these skills, even, that, even if they are core to my business, I decided to actually outsource, outsource them and just be really good at performance managing them and really good at establishing quality management controls and the ways how I'm engaging with them instead of, you know, hey, now you have you have a great CV, you have a great experience, and I actually don't need to manage you because you know what you should be doing. <laughs> and that often leads to, you know, they may be surprised like two years later, like that person is not performing that well, you know, but instead we actually forgot about kind of performance managing them um, because they're just good, you know, and good enough. And so my view on it now is totally different is I'm actually almost becoming better at performance managing and basically getting better quality out of people, but not necessarily having them on my payroll and seeing them every day in my office and being like really super efficient. And, you know, and exactly as I said, I probably might have a different view on it in two years from now. But I just decided to really take in 
a different approach around customer experience, efficiency, being very clean KPIs and performance managing all the time and less worried about, um, you know, this is the core skill I need and I need to own it and I need to own the IP of the person and all that. I mean, I think just to just to make this kind of practical for people listening, like what are some of the things you do, you yeah. know, because this is something I struggle with. Like what yeah. are some of the things you do to kind of performance manage people, especially external kind of people yeah. that you don't have direct direct kind of influence over? How, yeah. Like what are some things you do? So I'm like, for example, like I do also like w- work from, I don't know, videographers to 3D modelers to, um, you know, different designers. And with them, obviously, once is strict SLAs, but um, being able to understand like timelines, project management, really the, the quality, being very specific around what is it that I'm looking for um, in giving clear examples, going back and checking regularly so that there are not no surprises and um, and really kind of holding them to and co-creating with them. So often I would say, listen, this is how I'm seeing it. I would like your input. And then if I'm actually not getting what I'm needing, I go to another designer with some of that input. Obviously, you know, making sure that there is a fair exchange of, of trade, but um, and actually building on it. So you, now you have the opportunity to make it even better by different people contributing. Oh, so you'll actually take a piece of work yeah, the person can, and move on to somebody else. If, if, you, if you want to, sometimes it might be perfect, but sometimes they just might not be able to understand certain nuances that I need because kids at that age might not have that great fine motor skills, for example. So I then know like who else has better skills at that so you can actually make it more appropriate for those specific kids, like for those kids. So a 3D model might be brilliant in details like for you and me and the details like is amazing. You might be sitting and just admiring it. But the kid actually doesn't really care so much about the detail, but just how, you know, how it actually can move, how, how it can move or be part of another big play or whatever that is, and how it can fit into something else. So and then with like that, smaller hands, so can yeah, they handle exactly. it, can they hold it? Can they handle it? And then also how do you 3D print it? Because the, uh, the detail might not be necessarily the base to actually put on into a 3D printer. Um, because certain details are not that great to 3D print. So, you know, working then with different designers who can actually adjust that, and um, but they have that specific skill. And I think that's what I've found is that you can actually make things almost better, but not having that one resource because you can't... Like different perspectives. Make, yeah, different perspectives. That's what really worked for me up until now. I really like, I mean, there's a thought you mentioned earlier about, um, you know, you've got this person on your staff and they're good enough. Yeah. And you kind of exactly. settle that. And I suppose that's an interesting challenge to put out to everyone in the in the network. Like, who do you have sitting on your staff who you believe is just good enough? Mm. Uh, you know, and, and I'm sure the name's already popped into your head. And what are you doing to, can you replace them with freelancers? Or even, I suppose, I mean, we had it with one of our staff where she was performing well, but not great. And her turnaround wasn't great and her delivery, like her quality checking wasn't so great. And then she left or, you know, we, we kind of agreed to separate paths. But the job she was working on continued. So we then contracted her back in as a freelancer. Mm. Her quality jumps infinitely. So suddenly she was incentivized to deliver stuff quickly and get it right the first mm. time. And, and the, just that context shift was enough to make mm. her change her behavior. And I probably could have banged my head against hers <laughs> for you know, another year and a half to try and get it to that point. But all that needed to happen was the fact that she needed to not be a nice work employee anymore. Yeah. She needed to be a freelancer. And that actually was exactly. what changed she and was, shifted everything. And I'm sure that she was more like outcome driven. 
Uh, whereas if you're in the business, you're more like input driven. Yeah. You know, you kind of just like, oh, I have so much work to do. <laughs> but you forget actually almost like sometimes the output and the outcome that is required. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, so, and, and I had kind of similar experiences to, to yours. I mean, there's also this lovely idea that you mentioned earlier is kind of sharing in the upside. And I think that ties mm. into it is that it's, it's, you know, when we're making lots of money, you're making lot, like, yes. there's kind of a, a generosity or a sharingness that's kind of happening there, which is, is quite nice. And it's a theme, I mean, the, the last episode is with um, David Alexander, and it was very similar to how the music industry is kind of shifting, is this idea of sharing properly. Mm. Um, and, I, and I do believe that the kind of economies are shifting away from mm. the people who are creating the yes. value need to be part of the yeah. end remuneration of it, which mm. is I think a lot of industries have for a long time been involved mm. around the people who are creating the value are often the ones getting the least amount out and mm. other people further down the chain are the ones that are actually making the most most out of it. Yeah, and I think that you know sometimes, especially if you you know starting out and you're bootstrapping, you you might be thinking, you know, I can't afford the best in the market. Whether it's like you know a really great marketing branding company, but you know I think that the shift is also changing even with these companies that've been around for longer, to actually say, listen, I'm going to take a risk in your business. You know, I'm actually going to just charge you basic costs to cover some of our kind of key critical expenses, but you know share with me the upside. So if you get there, and it's very clear, you know, also in the SLA. So actually, I've I've managed to do this as well, and you know some companies successfully some some less but those that did it's really exciting for them as well because they can get actually better outcome yes at the end then they you know they they would and i have better quality so i mean i just made a proposal the other day which is based around exactly that i sat mm. with the clients and i said to them i want to bill you this yeah. much every month what do you need to turn over like what does exactly. your business need to do in order to make that number yes. palatable or feasible to you and now that we understand that now I know exactly what I need to contribute. So now we need to go, how do we hit that goal? Because when we hit that goal, we get our revenue target. Whereas in the past, it was like, here's a quote. They're like, I can't afford that. I'll see you later. Now we're almost backing ourselves to say that we believe we can, can shift your business. We can actually deliver what you need. And we want you to pay us for that. So now he's not seeing like, oh, I've got to pay this huge expense. Yeah. He's like, I can pay... Two hundred thousand rand yeah. and get back two million rand, which yeah. is you know if, if you say to any business owner like you give me two hundred grand, I'll give you back two million. That's a no brainer. Whereas exactly. I think in our space, marketing design is often seen as a superfluous. Mm. You know, it's an extra expense that maybe we'll get the PA to mm. to do the work, or we just won't do it at all. Mm. Um, and I think it's a lovely space to play in because mm. no matter how no matter how much we work. We can always just scale our billing up, exactly. like commensurate with the, the clients as they grow. Exactly. And I think that's, like, again, something that I've done differently now in this business because, you know, I just found, and it's shifting. Um, you know, it was obviously five years ago, it would be a little bit unheard of. And now even people have bigger appetites for risk. They have other things going on. Employees have other things going on. They have, like, stream businesses on the side. And you need to be okay with that. And you need to actually work with that um, because it is. Everything is just... It's going to be different as well. Um, yeah. I mean, I suppose it is kind of meta that we've come all the way back around to the idea of having ownership in it. And I think if 
we have ownership in our clients' outcomes. And if we believe that we are part of that journey and we're partnering with them, we're more likely to continue going, you know, continue working and continue being creative and continue changing the way we approach things because we're part of it. And I think it ties all the way back to the 3D printing and how if you can see it, yeah. see it being born and you can be part of the growth of it, exactly. then you feel much more ownership and pride in it. Absolutely. And like, and I don't need to understand anything. Like, I don't need to be the specialist in the business. And, you know, it's about just unlocking and seeing the different different values and different contributions. And and I think even like in, in cases, you know, people think they need to own, they need to own the IP and we have the tendency of to say, no, you have to start and you have to be the inventor of this. Like that was, and don't take me wrong, it's still needed. But um, I think that what's more needed, especially like in countries like South Africa, is actually to say, listen, let me go where the ownership sits in. Let's say it's in America with a product there or Israel or Russia, China, India. And I'm going to take what's the best of the breed. I might not understand anything about virtual reality or whatever that is. I'm not, not a programming expert or... But you can take those solutions or take those technologies that um, are not owned by you <laughs> and see how you can solve a problem locally. Mm. And, and I think we need more of that. You, know, you don't need to necessarily create it. Like, you know. yeah, I think it's, like it's about creating that local context. Exactly. But I also think it's something that you said earlier, which is kind of owning the client's experience. So, exactly. so you bring in the tool. I don't, like, I don't need to invent VR. Yes. I can bring it here exactly. and I can create an experience around it. I mean, how are you... How are you building out that client's experience? And how yeah. is that something you keep internally and in your own internally? Mm, and that's what I try to focus on. And as a like as a founder, that this is what's critical. Like there is, for example, freely available content around 3D printing. And I'm sure that every 3D printer is competing around how to be a faster 3D printer or you know, print things on a on a like faster speed and 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 much more convenient and all of that. But that's what I'm not interested in. I want to partner with the best in the industry. But I want to be focused on that customer experience. Like, how? What is the outcome? If you had to put all these things together, um, you know, what do you want the customer to feel? How easy is it for them to consume it? So my obsession is not necessarily like what it was in the past, like punish the HR manager for doing a bad job, or come on, like how come the, the set of account management or the set of accounts wasn't on the day the way I wanted it? Now I'm focusing more on how are the consumers actually utilizing that that information, how they're working with it, how can I improve that journey? How can I make it more personal? What does the child think about it, you know, and, and working with them to make it even more and more appropriate, more better, just to kind of get the get that experience. And I think that we often exactly get caught up fighting the crocodiles. <laughs> you forget to empty the dam because you just don't have the time for it and you get caught up in different things. So do you think that as the kind of leader of the business, do you think kind of owning that client mm. experience is your, your primary task or is it something that you would outsource to a client <laughs> experience specialist, <laughs> you know, a consultant who would come in and deliver that for you? So you work with that specialist <laughs> to give you an input through a play yeah. off a Lego. No, <laughs> no but I, I obviously, you know, working with people, but, I, you know, ultimately that client experience is, should be your, your thing. You need to own it. You need to understand how does the client feel about it. Uh, is that what they want? Is that, you know, what else do they want? And who else is going to be doing it in your business? And yes, you can say everybody should be doing it in the business, but different people are focusing on different things. Exactly. Your designer will be focusing, make sure that the colors and the lights fits with the text from the left to the right, mm. I don't know, because that's what they need to focus on. Whereas, you know, you should be focusing more on 
how do people consume design these days? Like, how do they want that experience to be? Do they want it like with swipe? How's the tender left to the right? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> how, you know, what is that experience that they want, you know, from you? Do they come and jumping out of the box or, you know, do they want it on, on, on a phone? Um, and that's what you need to be driving, I think, as a founder or as, a, as, a, as the entrepreneur, as the founder of the business more than anyone in the business. Uh, I mean, I love that thought, and I think it's a powerful thought to sort of end the episode on. Um, you know, I think, like, it's it's a lovely idea that, that you as the leader of the business need to own that kind of client's experience because nobody else nobody else is going to focus on it as much as, as you are. And then I think, I suppose, it's about delegating what the pieces of that are to other people to actually execute, but understanding that the, the package of it is is your kind of core responsibility. Exactly. Well, I'm glad that you learned something today. I did learn something. (laughs) And uh, I feel like we've been playing. (laughs) Well, well, Petra, I mean, I think on that, uh, thank you very much for for being part of radio. And um, that was, uh, I think that was a a learning-packed episode. Uh, Where can people go if they want to kind of understand a little bit more about uh, using 3D printing or, 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 you know, kind of engaging with your company? So they can go on whitetoys.com to start and and we take it from there. And the awesome. experience is always important. So yeah, I would love to hear from people. Well, thank you very much for listening. Uh, you've been listening to uh, Radio, which is a podcast by the Entrepreneurs Organization in South Africa. Um, and we'd like to thank uh, our sponsors who help our chapter thrive and grow, uh, Bidfest McCarthy, Bidvest Car Hire, Exec Care, and 10XE. Uh, you guys are absolutely amazing, and I hope all the success comes to you. Um, this, uh, If you are an entrepreneur and you want to find out more about this great organization, you can go to eonetwork.org uh, and sign up. There's all sorts of exciting things that are there, and I can guarantee it's a, a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Um, and if you've enjoyed this episode, we ask one simple thing that you pass it on to one other person who might not have heard about it. And hopefully you can share some of that learning with them. So thank you very much and goodbye. Thank you very much. And goodbye.